0: Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. You may be seated. And as you're doing so, please open up your Bibles to 1 John.
1: Reading this morning is from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God.
0: good morning morning. thank you for reading sherry thank you worship team for leading us Uh, we are in that passage this morning we have been we've been studying together through first john and uh, this morning we get into chapter four we're about two-thirds of the way through the letter so uh, those who were wondering how we're doing on that we're about two-thirds of the way through so i'm going to lead us in prayer and then we will get right into the the verses uh, that's this morning's passage the verses we just heard so let's pray together Lord, we thank you for bringing us here this morning. What a joy and a privilege it is to worship you. Uh, Lord, you you love us. It's it's the subtext of the verses we are looking at this morning. Uh, John doesn't really elaborate it on in these six verses, but it's the thread that runs through them. You love us. Uh, You call us beloved. Uh, in verse 1, you call us your little children in verse 4. You'll call us beloved again in verse 7. And, and you just keep doing that. Little children, I love you. Little children, I love you. All through this whole book. And we thank you for that. We're just humbled by it. and love us so much. Uh, Lord, I, before uh, we get into the sermon, I wanted to agree with Kurt in prayer. And just we agree together in praying for the situation in Ukraine. I, I just wanted to pray. I want to pray uh, for peace. We pray that you will uh, intervene, Lord, and, uh, and do a miracle there. Uh, we know there's many places in the world where there's uh, violence and uh, ugly things happening. Uh, we would ask you to intervene in all of them. Ultimately, our prayer is Maranatha. Come again, Jesus, to put an end to all of it. But until you do, uh, would you please intervene in this situation? We pray you would sustain the people there. Just so appreciate the prayer for, for wisdom for the, the leaders of the world who are trying to, to sort this out. This is way above those men and women it just is by the very nature of of who they are in their own humanity and we just pray you'd give them wisdom well i want to pray for the church in ukraine i've seen several uh, accounts of uh, of how believers are handling this and of pastors who've sent their families to safety and have gone back in to stand with their their churches with their people Uh, we pray you would sustain them help them to lean strong into you lord Uh, would you sustain them with your love And would you sustain us with your love? This is a a disturbing thing for us. There are young people in this room and watching online who have never seen anything like this, and it's frightening. And there are old people in this room who we have seen (laughs) stuff like this over the years, and it's frightening. And so we would pray you'd help us to trust in you in in times like these, Lord. Uh, We, uh, in all times, we need to trust in you, but especially in times like these. We pray now as we come as your beloved children to this passage that you would teach us in it, that you would equip us, that you would help us to hear. Uh, Every single person uh, listening to this right now is here and hearing it because you want them to be. And uh, we would pray that you would apply it to our hearts and help us to take away what you want us to hear, what you know we need to hear from this passage today. Uh, Help me to communicate clearly and uh, to your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we look to you now. Amen. There's a company in Spain called Cinco Jotas. Cinco Jotas. They specialize in smoked hams. That's what they do. They make smoked hams, or they cure smoked hams. Uh, And they've been in business for well over 100 years. They've been in business since 1879. And for the most part, they still do things today the way they've done them all along, all the way back into the 1800s. They do things pretty much the traditional way including the sniffers, including the sniffers. Uh, One of the secrets of their success is that they have a team of sniffers who are responsible for quality control, and their job is to do exactly what you think. Their job is to sniff the hams. Every single one, every ham that Cinco Hotas sells is quality checked, and they've got this whole process, each ham is smelled four times in four specific places. They got a whole procedure that they do it with, and and every single ham is checked. Uh, At the height, the busiest time of year for them, as you might think, is Christmas. They do about half their volume in a month or so before Christmas. Uh, The busiest time of year, their lead sniffer, sniffer sniffer-in-chief, a guy named Manuel Vega, uh, he will sniff 800 hams a day. Right? 800 hams a day, this guy will sniff, each one doing it the same way with the whole system. And, and like I say, they've been in business a long time, so they've kind of perfected it at this point. Mr. Man, Mr. Vega, was, uh, I saw a picture anyway, he looked a little older than me actually, so he's been doing it a long time, the others have. And, and so they've perfected their brand, right? a particular kind of ham, uh, the article I read said that it has a woody, umami nuttiness. I have no idea what that is, someone's going to have to tell me. <laughs> A woody, umami nuttiness with a slight sweetness. And so they check every ham. And if it's got that woody, umami nuttiness, it passes. It goes off to be sold. If it doesn't, they ditch it. They get rid of it. If the pig ate the wrong thing or something, they will just get rid uh, of, of that ham. And they, they're good at it. They, they, they're expensive hams. They're quality kind of thing. They don't get it wrong. Uh, I, I liked what Mr. Vega said. He told the Wall Street Journal, the memory of perfect ham. Ah, the memory of perfect ham is cooked into my brain, he said. That is how we need to be when it comes to truth. That's what this morning's passage teaches us. The truth about Jesus, what is true about Jesus and the gospel, needs to be cooked into our brains. Uh, let me remind you a little bit of a background here in this letter as i said we're working through first john together and sometimes it helps about halfway through like we are to stop and look back uh, back in chapter 2 we learned that there had been some sort of a split some sort of a schism uh, in the Christian churches in western Turkey. And that's where John is writing to. He's not writing to just one church. We, he's writing to a kind of a, a cluster of churches, a group of churches in what we today call Turkey, that western part of Turkey. And there had been some kind of a schism. And they weren't fighting over the color of the carpet. They were fighting over uh, it was over doctrine, over truth. And uh, and we get all that from chapter 2, verse 19. And uh, there's a few other hints, but, but that's really the key verse. Uh, verse 19 says, they, the the false teachers we learn, they went out from us, they left, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. They would have stayed where the truth was being taught, but they went out so that it would be plain that they're not from us. And and scholars deduce from that, and like I say, a few other clues in the book that there had been this this schism over what was being taught. And so the people who were wrong left, the, the false teachers had left, and the people who stayed are the ones John's writing to. So this isn't one of those books where he's writing to confront the the people who were wrong. They've they've left. He's writing to shore up the faith of the people who stayed. And, And so one of the big reasons, it's not the only thing going on in this letter, but one of the things he's doing in this letter is he's helping them make sense of what happened, and he's helping them kind of deal with it going forward, which is this morning's passage is a big part of that because this morning's passage focuses in on discernment Christians, followers of Jesus, we need to be able to to separate truth from lies. That's what he's telling them in this book, especially in this morning's passage. It's a key Christian skill. We need to be able to separate truth from lies. And he'd already talked about this once. We actually talked about this a few weeks ago when we looked at chapter, the second half of chapter two there. Um, And then we talked about some principles, principles for defending ourselves. It was a more general sort of a passage. This morning he gets more specific, and what he tells us is we need to test God's children, and he emphasized that a lot at the end of the previous chapter, which is why I'm picking up on those words. God's children have to learn how to test. We have to test for for spiritual truth. That's really the the main idea. And he actually tells us that. He tells us to learn how to test for spiritual truth. We'll come back to that in a minute. Uh, It's in uh, verse 1. If you look at what he says in verse 1, he says, uh, Test. He says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Uh, The key word there is this word test. It's an imperative. It's the main verb of the the whole sentence. Uh, He says, don't believe. He actually starts with a prohibition. Don't believe every spirit. Instead, test the spirits. And that word, it means to, to examine something closely or to scrutinize it. And really what you're testing for, if you look at the ways this word is used, what you're testing for is the purity, the purity of the thing you're testing. Peter uses this word, the exact same word it's used in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 7, and he he actually talks about gold, and he tells us this is what they would do with gold, they would test it. Uh, Peter says, our faith is more precious than gold, which perishes even though it's tested or purified by fire. And so if you, you know, if you had gold in the ancient world, I think it still works this way today. If you had a, a hunk of rock and you knew there was some, a, a lot of gold in there, but there was some other stuff too, you would heat it up. You expose it to heat, and that heat tests the gold. And basically what it does is the heat separates the impurities from the gold, and you can skim the impurities off and you're left with pure gold. That's what John is telling us to do with the ideas, the writings, the philosophies, the teachings, all everything that we encounter, we need to test it. We need to scrutinize, examine it closely uh, for purity, just like those sniffers uh, at that company in Spain. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning, because that's what this passage is about. Uh, we're going to talk about how to test or testing for, for spiritual truth. And this passage actually addresses three issues on this, Uh, And uh, spends most of the time on on the third one But it actually talks about what to test So we're going to dig into that a little more I just gave you an overview But what what it is specifically we need to test Why we need to test it And then how we test it And that's that's where John's going to focus most of his attention So we'll put most of our attention there On how to test So what to test, why to test And how to test That's what we're going to talk about this morning So, So let's start with the what What do we need to test and John says, test the spirits. But before you write that down, when he says test the spirits, what he's telling us to, to test is the source. So when, that's how he's using this. He's, so, so is it from God? Test the spirits, check the source to see what, see if whatever you're hearing is coming from God or if it's coming from someplace else. That's what, that's what we need to test. Uh, the key there, I read the verse before, I won't read it again. The key there is the word Spirits. This word spirits that he says, he's going to keep using it throughout the passage. We have to understand what he's talking about when he says test the spirits. Uh, because in Greek, his, you know, the New Testament is written in Greek. Uh, in Greek, the word he uses here actually can mean a lot of different things. The word The word for spirit in Greek is a very flexible word. Uh, the same word can be used to talk about the wind. It can be used to talk about angels. It can be used to be talk about demons. You can use it to talk about uh, humans, you actually can use it to talk about the immaterial part, the spirit of a human being, same word, and you also use it to talk about the Holy Spirit. Right? So, you, you, so it's all these different options when you see that word, and so you've got to figure out which one it is, and to do that you need context. This is definitely one of those passages where the surrounding verses are going to help us understand what we're talking about. So when John tells you and me to test the spirits, what is he, telling, what is he talking about? What is he telling us to test? Uh, I think he's telling us to test a combination of two of those, right? So here's what I mean. When he says test the spirits, he does mean test people. So the spirits, right? So test, uh, so so you know, Jesus actually said, Jesus said that the, you know what's going on inside of a person by what comes out, right? The words that come out. Uh, John's picking up on that here, and th- there's that sort of idea here. So what is so, so test the person, the writer, the talker, the preacher, whoever it is. Test the, the spirit. So test the spirits means test the person. But he's also pushing us beyond that. Because you'll see it when he starts talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. Uh, it's, we're talking about more than just a, the person's spirit. We're talking about the spirit that's behind it. There is a spirit behind all the things that we're being taught. He says all the ideas that we're exposed to there's a spirit behind them that we need to test and what john is going to tell us john's very black and white he's very black and white in this john's going to tell us there's basically two there are only two choices there are two sources it's either from god which is what he says in verse one or it's from what does he say in verse three the antichrist he says it's from the antichrist that is it's from it's from the devil so it's from god or it's from from the devil And our job, verse 1, is to figure out which one it is. Like I said before, it's a key Christian skill. Our job is to test the spirits, to test the source, to see if it's from God or if it's from the devil, because those are the only two options. Now, someone's going to say, oh, that's so black and white. Isn't there more nuance than that? That's so black and white. I know. (laughs) I know. It's black and white. But that is what we are being told here. That's what John tells us. And, and he's not saying, you know, when he says that, he's, he's not saying, you know, some demon sat there with a pen and wrote, you know, the origin of species or, or something like that or put that post up on Twitter, you know. He's, he's not saying a, a demon literally did it, but what he's saying is that ultimately, ultimately, everything we run into in the world is coming to us from one of only two sources. That's the claim that's being made here. And the way you figure out which it is is to test it. to to, to run it through these tests that we're going to talk about in a few minutes. So if you're a student, right? If you're in middle school or high school, you're in college, you're in grad school. If you're a student, you need to test your teachers. Don't be a jerk about it, right? That doesn't help anything, but but you'll be respectful. But you got to test. Even in a Bible college, you got to test what they say. Uh, All of us, we need to test uh, what we see on Facebook, and what we see on Twitter and what you see on Tumblr and Instagram and Reddit and Trump Social and, and whatever the next one to come along is going to be, you've got to test it. Test the influencers. Test the journalists. Test the philosophers. Test the authors. Test the bloggers. Test the documentary makers. And yes, test the preachers. Especially test the preachers. <laughs> I, I'm serious. Especially test the preachers. They're some of the most dangerous ones. That's what he's telling us. Test them all. Test them all and ask yourself, is what they're saying from God or is it from the enemy? So test the source. Is it from God? Number two, uh, why to test? So the second question is, uh, you know, why do we need to test? Why is, why do, why is this worth talking about? Can't, we talk about? can't we go back and talk about God's love some more? Why do we have to talk about this? Well, the answer why we have to talk about it is that there are so many sources of error. Why do we need to talk about this? We need to talk about it because there's so much error out there. There, uh, Which is simply to say, this is a real danger. That's, that's the point. And you see it in the back half of verse one here. There, this is a real danger. We're not making up monsters under the bed where there are none. This is a real problem. He says it in the last part of the verse. He says, test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Why, John? For, because, many false prophets, uh, false teachers, have, have gone out into the world. It's not just one or two. It's not just one or two, it's many. It's an infestation. The planet is crawling with them. That, that's, that's the claim here. There's many sources of error in the world that are threatening. It reminds me, actually, to cross passage here, uh, it reminds me of, of what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? It, it really does. Uh, it's close to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 uh, Jesus does the, the the gates passage. He says enter by the narrow gate. So Matthew 7 13 enter by the narrow gate right? Come follow me is what he's saying for the gate the other gate the gate is wide and the way is easy That leads to destruction and those who go through by that gate are many uh, For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few Right, so he's two two gates you know, there's the narrow gate of walking on the difficult but ultimately rewarding and truth-filled road with Jesus. Or there's the wide gate, which leads to the wide road, which leads to destruction. Right? You've got these two roads. That was verses 13 and 14. The very next verse, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, it's not just a string of unrelated pearls. It's all tied together. The very next verse, Jesus says, beware of false prophets. Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So who's trying to get you to walk on the wide gate? or why? Who's trying to get us to go through the wide gate and walk on the wide road that leads to destruction? It's the false prophets. It's the false prophets who look like sheep on the outside. I.e., they look like us. They look like Christians. They look like followers of Jesus. They look like sheep, but on the inside they're hungry wolves. And so it's it's the same thing, right? We're we're not making up things to be, you know, we're not making up things to be worried about. We're not seeing monsters where there are none. This is a real danger, John tests us. There are many false prophets that have gone out into the world, so test them. You gotta test them. You gotta test the spirits to see where they're coming from. And Christians of all people uh, should know that. We should know that just because somebody says it in in the newspaper or in a textbook or on cable news or on the internet or in a TED Talk or a fancy lecture hall or, yes, even in a church. It doesn't mean it's true just because they say that. And and Christians, followers of Jesus, of all people, should know we need to test it. We need to test it. That brings us to the the third question the text answers for us. And this is the, the how question. All right, you've told me why I need to test and what I need to test. Well, how am I going to test it? And the answer here is that we need to test whether it tells the truth about Jesus. Does it tell the truth about Jesus? That's the test. And John's going to focus on this for the rest of the passage. So it's verses 2 through 6. That's what the rest of this is about here. And as I see it, he's going to give us three tests. You could probably organize it in different ways, but as I was looking at it this week, praying through, I see three tests here. And they all have to do with a different kind of angle on the truth about Jesus. So all three have to do with the truth about Jesus. Three tests that have to do with the truth about Jesus. And it's got to pass all three. Whatever we're thinking about. Whether we're talking narrowly about doctrine, which I think is what we think of first when we read a passage like this. But we could also, I think this applies just as much broadly to anything and everything that's out there. We have to run it through these three, these same three tests. Especially test number 3 you we'll see when we get there. So, number one, the first test, has to do with the nature of Jesus. The nature of Jesus. You could also think in terms of the person, the nature or the person of Jesus. Uh, This is the issue in verse 2. And so he says, By this you know the Spirit of God. Here it is. Here's the test. Test number one. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that confesses, every source that confesses, every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. So here's how you know if it's coming from God, if it's from the Holy Spirit. It's from the Holy Spirit. If it confesses, and he's not using confess there like we confess sin, it's, it's confess in the sense of profess as true. So it professes as true that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. What he's getting to here is the essential nature of who Jesus is. The essential nature of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ, Jesus the Messiah we sang about before. See, there's two big mistakes, two big mistakes that people make about Jesus. And this has been true for 2,000 years, nothing new here. Two big mistakes we make about Jesus, people make about Jesus. They either say that he's not fully God, or they say that he's not fully man. Right? It's one or the other, right? They'll, 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 they'll err on one or the other of those sides. And John, what John is telling us here, when he, uses, when he says this, and it's, it's, almost, it's he states it, um, what's the word? Like, almost like liturgically, you know, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. What he's telling us here is that you've got to have both. You've got to, it's not either or, either Jesus was God or Jesus was man. No, it's both and. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. See, John doesn't use the word there, the term, but what he's talking about in verse 2 is called the doctrine of the incarnation. That's what, what he's telling us there is in, is in play. You've got to affirm the fullness of the doctrine of, of the incarnation. And so what's the doctrine of the incarnation? I, I'm sure we talked about it back in December. I can't remember which sermon. Probably, I'm sure I used these same words. Jesus is fully God. John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Oh, that's interesting. They were companions. No, the Word was God. And we, you know in John chapter 1, he's talking about Jesus. And I could show you a dozen other verses where the, the full deity of Jesus Christ is affirmed. Jesus is fully God. But at the same time, and John actually affirmed it in the beginning of chapter 1, and we talked about it at the beginning of the series, at the same time, Jesus is also fully human, which is the part here that the, um, the, 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 the formulation focuses on. Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. So yes, he's fully God, but he's also fully, fully human. He's fully man. And if someone doesn't affirm both, it doesn't pass the sniff test. It doesn't pass the test. It, it's, it's off. It, it's wrong if it does not affirm both of those. Let me give you a few examples. This is a, a, a text where we have to look at some examples of all of these things. Uh, well, who does this? Who wouldn't affirm the, the, the incarnation, right? The fullness of uh, fully God, fully man. Who would, who would do that? Who wouldn't affirm that? Uh, Islam would fall into this category. I, I don't imagine many people who would bother to listen to me would... Uh, would be too tempted by Islam but if you are please know uh, that the Quran teaches explicitly that Jesus of Nazareth was a very good man he was a prophet in fact they have a lot of respect for him I think he's like the third best prophet in their in their system but he was certainly not God Jesus was not God uh, according according to Islam according to Muslims Uh, they would be in this category they would not pass this test that John is giving us here in verse 2 uh, this is probably obvious, but Judaism fails the test. Right? And we owe a lot to Judaism. We owe a lot to, to, to our Jewish friends. Uh, they are God's chosen people. I believe he has a plan for them at the end of the age. Or you know, The majority of our Bible cam, cam, comes from, actually all of it, except maybe Luke, <laughs> comes from Jewish writers. I mean, we owe a lot. We owe a lot to Judaism. But that does not change the fact that Judaism doesn't tell the truth about Jesus. It does not tell the truth about the nature of Jesus because they would agree with the Muslims. Jesus was was just a man. Mormonism fails the test. So now, you know, maybe some folks, maybe some of you do have that background or have been tempted by it. Uh, Mormonism fails this test because Mormons say that Jesus is a son of God. Uh, He's a son of God. And you go, okay, well, that's, that's better than the Muslims are doing. Except they would also say anybody can become a son of God or at least at least men can. I'm not, I don't know enough about Mormonism to know what they do with women. But, uh, but Mormonism would deny that Jesus is the unique son of God, which is really what that phrase, only begotten, means. Uh, it doesn't mean God gave birth to, to Jesus. It's a, it's a phrase that describes the uniqueness. That's part of the incarnation. Jesus is the only son of God. And, and Mormonism would deny that. And so Mormonism would fail this test. That's why um, you can be friends with a Mormon, but you don't want to, to buy into what they teach theologically liberal Christianity fails this test. Now we're getting much closer to home because I know some of you have this background. Uh, theologically liberal Christianity, and that's a big umbrella. You'll find it manifests in different ways in different churches and different denominations. Uh, but broadly, a lot of times, theologically liberal, and when I say liberal, I'm not talking your position on tax policies now. that's Leave that for another day. I'm talking theologically liberal, not affirming orthodox Christianity. Uh, theological liberal liberals often deny the virgin birth, right? That would be the, the key here. Uh, many of them would say Jesus was not, you know, Jesus is a great man, right? They, 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 they honor Jesus, but they would say Jesus was not miraculously conceived by the Holy Spirit the way he's described uh, in the Book of Luke and in other places, uh, he, G, you know, if you if you pressed them on it, they would say Jesus. Well, there wasn't a miracle there. God doesn't, you know, there's no miracles. He, Jesus was just a the product of a normal union, a common union between Mary and, and some man, and maybe it was Joseph, maybe it was a Roman soldier who attacked her. Uh, you know, different theories on that. They'll flaunt, They'll front. But he was just a man. It may say Christian on the sign, and Christian may be in the name of the denomination, but John would say, that's not Christian. That's not Christian. Anyone who denies the virgin birth is denying the incarnation. Anyone who denies the incarnation is denying that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. You're denying that doctrine. And so it, uh, it doesn't pass the test. So it's it's a more uh, useful test than we might realize on first blush. It's a very key one. Does it tell the truth about the nature, the person of Jesus, who he is? Number two, the second test that this passage gives us has to do with, and I'm going to use the word work, the work of Jesus. Does it tell the truth about the work of Jesus? And when I say work, what we're talking about is the salvific mission. Right, so we're not talking as much, you know, say about the, you know, him, him Jesus as Creator. Uh, that's true as well. But, but really, we're focusing in on the salvific mission. If you like fancier words than work on your outline, if you're a note taker, the salvific, salvific mission of Jesus. Does it tell the truth about that? Why he came and what he did when he came. Does it tell the truth about that? Now, where do you see that in this text? We see it in the movement from verse two to verse three. All right, John's, uh, John really ought to have said, if you look at his language, he ought to have repeated himself, but he doesn't. So verse two focuses on the incarnation. We just looked at that one. He focuses in Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, but then in verse two, it's truncated. He cuts it short. All he says in verse two is that every spirit that does not confess Jesus, stop. He could have said every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Uh, is not from God. That would have maintained the parallelism, but he doesn't. He just says every spirit that does not confess Jesus. And you could say, well, that's just stylistic, right? Maybe it was just a stylistic choice by the writer. I don't think so. John doesn't like to waste words. Uh, he does this intentionally. And the, the, the effect of it, so he simplifies in the second half of the formula, and the effect of that simplification, of that simplification is to expand our application. He makes it much bigger now. Right? That's what he does. And so he takes us from one doctrine in verse 2, a very important doctrine, the, the doctrine of the Incarnation. That's verse 2. And then in verse 3 he says, but it's all the doctrines. It's all the doctrines about Jesus. It's, it's, it's Whoever doesn't confess Jesus, stop, is not from God. Which means when we read this verse and we read this passage, what we need to do as readers is we need to bring in the other things John's been teaching us in this book about Jesus. What else has he been teaching us about Jesus? Well, I'll remind you of the biggest one. Chapter 2, verse 2. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. He's the only Savior. He's the only means God has provided for us to be saved, for us to be forgiven, for our shame and our guilt to be removed. It's only Jesus. He's. Uh, the only option. And so when John talks about confessing Jesus in verse 3, it's not just the virgin birth from, ver- from verse 2, it's, it's the whole package, it's the whole f- work that Jesus does, it's the whole salvific mission of Jesus. Which means you've you got to have both, right? You, you can't separate the, the person of Jesus from the work of Jesus. Some will try to do that, but you can't. You can't affirm the incarnation, for example, but then deny the atonement that you've got to have both. Uh, And so if we don't smell the aroma, if we don't smell the aroma of the truth about his work, again, something is off. Something's wrong. Something's off. You know, it's like like milk in the refrigerator, right? You know, sometimes, you know, what's today? It's the 27th, right? So you open the fridge, you're going to have some cereal, you pull out the milk, and ooh, it says the 26th. All right, today's the 27th, 26th. Oh, it's probably okay, right? You, you give it a little sniff. Oh, uh, uh, it's a little off, right? It's, it's a little off. That's, that's what, when John, just what John's telling us here. If, he, if he's not affirming the stuff that's taught about what Jesus did, uh, it, it, it's off. Except it's not just off a little. Right? I don't know about you guys, I might use that milk anyway. Right? Depends how hungry I am and what my other options are. But, you know... We can, make, we can make that work another day or two. I might do that, but you, you can't do that with this. He's very careful with it, right? This is off by a lot. That's what verse 3 tells us. Verse 3, he says, you know, no, it's not just a little off. It's from the spirit of Antichrist. It's really bad, right? This is like rancid, curdling, you know, you, you pour it out, and it comes out in chunks in the sink, bad. It's, it's that kind of bad. And that's verse 3. Verse 3 says, uh, he says... Uh, That every spirit, the whole verse now, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. What kind of spirit is that, John? This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming, they heard it from him, and now is in the world already. And so he reminds them, it's actually the second time he's done this in the book, he reminds them again that they've heard Antichrist is coming in the future. And we don't know what he's referring to. Um, well, he's referring to what you'll find in the book of Revelation, but he doesn't talk about it here. I got the sense when we preached the Antichrist passage a few weeks ago that some of you were disappointed that I didn't talk about the Antichrist and, you know, talk about Tim LaHaye and all that fun stuff. Um, it's not in 1 John. Actually, both times John brings up the capital A A, N times Antichrist, both times he brings it up and drops it. Because what he then says is, yeah, there's an antichrist who's coming at the end of the age. That's true. That's true. And you read all about it in the book of Revelation. But friends, he's already here. You don't have to wait for the spirit of the antichrist. He's already in the world right now, John says. That was true in John's day, writing this book in 90 AD. It's true today. And where do we see it? We see it anywhere where the truth about both of these, the nature of Jesus or the work of Jesus is being denied. Anyone who will deny what the Scriptures teach about the, the person and work of Jesus, they're not just a little off, they're, they're coming what's the source? The source is this, this um, spirit of Antichrist, Antichrist against Jesus, opposed to Jesus, which is to say, it comes straight from the devil. Now where do we see this one? Where do we see this one in our experience? A few few examples. Um, we see it, I'll, I'll pick up where I left off, we, we see it with theological liberalism, with theologically liberal Christianity. In, in its, in, again, and that's a big umbrella. Uh, I don't mean to kind of throw you know, everybody out who's just a little to the left of us. That's fine. There are I'm not, Understand this is a broad umbrella when we talk about theologically liberal uh, Christianity. But uh, there are uh, many of them who would say, many would say uh, that Jesus died on the cross merely to set an example. So when we talked all about that verse 2 and the atoning sacrifice, there are many, with Christian on the sign, that would say that, uh, no, that that verse, you're not understanding that verse right. Jesus, his death was not efficacious. His death didn't actually do anything about our sins. You know, the stuff about blood, that's kind of gory Old Testament, ancient people way of thinking about things. The real reason Jesus died was to just show us an example. He was a good man. He showed us that good people uh, give their life away. They, are, they make self-sacrifices. They, they, that's a, that is, so, so Jesus just died to show us the right way to live. God loves people, and so God wants us to, to make sacrifices for other people. Uh, his, his death on the cross didn't do anything for your sin, though. No. There are many who, who would say that. And, and that plays well in some circles, but it's not telling you the truth. It's not telling you the truth about the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, others in that camp would deny the physical resurrection. And again, I don't know if this is news to some, or some of you have seen this firsthand, but there's a whole line of interpretation in some theologically liberal churches which would say, you know, you know Easter's great. You know, you love the flowers and the white, the, you know, you get to wear white finely and all that fun stuff. Uh, but Jesus didn't actually rise from the dead. He, he rose in the hearts of his disciples. There's a famous theologian from the late 1800s who argued Jesus Christ rose in the hearts of his disciples. His bones are still in a tomb somewhere. But it doesn't matter because because he inspired them. They were scared at first, but then they looked at his sacrifice, they looked at his example, and they remembered his teachings, and they were inspired. And he rose in their hearts. And they went out and they shared the message of God's love with the whole wide world. Sounds nice, but it's not telling the truth. It's not telling the truth about Jesus. And so it may sound nice, but it's in the spirit of Antichrist, John would say to us. Any version of salvation by works... Even evangelical versions of salvation by works will fall into this category, right? Anything that says good people go to heaven, right? Why am I? Why, why do you think you're going to heaven? Well, I'm a good person. Okay. Anybody who would tell us that, and a lot of times, it's, you know, it doesn't even, you know, you only need to be good to a few people, right? If you're good to half a dozen people who were in your family, that's good enough, right? Anybody, a good person gets to go to heaven. That, again, sounds good, makes us feel good at at, uh, borderline funerals, but it's not telling the truth about the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, John says that Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not our good works. Our good works aren't the atoning sacrifice. Jesus is the one who dealt with it. So those are are a few uh, doctrinal examples. Let me say one more thing, though, before we move on. uh, Because I think this principle, uh, there's the narrow applications of a passage like this one on doctrine specifically, and I just gave you three examples of doctrinal issues, but I think this principle, this principle uh, is, is bigger than bad doctrine. I, I find that it also includes anything that takes the focus off of Jesus. Functionally, it's the same thing as bad doctrine, right? Anything that takes the focus off of Jesus and the centrality of the gospel, anything that undermines the centrality of the, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, anything that undermines the centrality of that good news, is in this same danger. It's in this same camp. I remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. What, what does Paul tell the Corinthians? And they've got all kinds of crazy things going on, and he's trying to weigh them in. He's trying to bring them back to what's most important. He says, I resolved to know nothing while I was among you, except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right, this is the most important thing, John, Paul says to the Corinthians. It's about this and nothing else. Christ and him crucified. And yet, you and I run into so many examples where even Bible-believing Christians take the focus off of Christ crucified. And we, we put it on other things. And so sometimes people will put it on angels and demons. And they'll get all caught up in it. Or they'll put it on miracles and they'll chase miracles and revivalists and you know, miracle workers and this sort of thing. Or they'll, they'll put it on you know, somebody who says, you know, I, I died and I went to heaven and I came back again. And now, here, I wrote a book about it. And if you give me $20, you can, you can read about what heaven's going to be like some days. You know, people get all caught up in some of that stuff. Uh, Christians will put it sometimes on, on politics or morality or ethics or, or winning America back to Jesus. And all those things sound good. I mean, I mean, what's not to like about winning America to Jesus? I mean, that's like the Christian version of baseball and apple pie. I mean, what's, what's not to like about winning America to Jesus? But here's what's not to like. Here's the problem with that. When we, when we let it rise to the surface and become the center, the problem with it is that anything that puts anything other than Jesus at the center of what we're about is doing what John's warning us against here. It's not telling the truth about the work of Jesus Christ. Some, some people, uh, uh, I, I, I think some people treat the work of Jesus, some churches, some movements uh, treat the work of Jesus like the toothpick they put in the club sandwich, right? So you, you go to a diner and you order this wonderful sandwich. It's got like four layers and all these wonderful meats and vegetables and stuff, but it's kind of tottering a little bit. And so they take the toothpick and they stick the toothpick in it and they bring it out to you. And then you get it and you go, oh, that looks beautiful. And we're first, the first thing you do, take the toothpick out and you set it to the side. And you enjoy the sandwich. And I think, I think we're see this we seeing this a lot in our day, right? And so you, you, got, you got your sandwich, your morality sandwich, or your ethics sandwich, or your politics sandwich, or your economic sandwich, or whatever it is. And we, we get it all arranged the way we want. We got, you know, John Stuart Mill and uh, Plato and whoever else we like. And then we grab the Jesus toothpick and we stick it in. We go, there you go. Doesn't that look nice? Look, it's a Christian sandwich. I think that's not telling the truth not telling the truth. Uh, the Bible says the work of Jesus is everything. It's, it's the, if, if we don't have that, we've got nothing. You keep your politics. If we don't have that, we have nothing. Without the birth, life, death, resurrection, and victorious ascension of Jesus Christ, we have nothing. And so if it doesn't tell the truth about the work of Jesus and the centrality of the gospel, it doesn't pass the test. Don't get dragged into it. Don't buy into it. I'm not telling you, you vote your conscience, all that kind of stuff. But that is not the center of the gospel. That is not the center of what we're about. The third test John gives us in this text is the broadest of the three. The third test is, does it tell the truth about the word? The word of Jesus. Let's pick up in verse four. So John says in verse four, he, he, uh, he comes back with this assurance. He says, little children, so it's, the, it's the little ones. It's not the, uh, you know, the adult children who've got their own jobs now. It's the little ones we send to you know, uh, little praisers. It's the cute ones. Uh, little children, he says, you're from God. And so there's, there's a word of reassurance here. Don't panic. Right? So he's saying some hard things to us, but he says, don't worry. Don't worry. God's got you. You belong to him. And that's what he then says, rest of that verse. You have overcome them. You've overcome them. Who's the them? The them is the false teachers. You've overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world, right? He, God, the Holy Spirit who's in you, Christ who's in you, is greater than that spirit of Antichrist who's in the world, right? So God is greater than the devil. He's protecting you. It occurs to me there's probably one or two people in this room. That is the only reason you're here today is to just read that verse again. Greater is he who is in you than he that is in the world. Amen to that, right? Praise the Lord to that. In its context, what he's telling us is it's a word of assurance that God's going to protect us in this area. right? So it's, it's what it, the, the, the focus here is he's going to protect our minds, he's going to protect our hearts, he's going to help us apply these tests. And So you have that assurance in verse 4. Uh, verse 5 is a, is a cool verse because what verse 5 does is it answers a question you might not know you had, uh, but the question is, well, then why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? If, I mean, if we're from God and we've got the truth, and God is protecting us, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world, then why in the world doesn't the, don't they listen to us? <laughs> why doesn't the world listen to us if, we've, if we're right and, and the false teachers are wrong? Right? Why don't they listen to us? And he tells us why in verse 5. He says, well, the false teachers are from the world. Right? Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. So they say what the world wants to hear, and then the world goes, oh, yeah, I agree with that. Why? Because that's what the world thinks. That they're doing exactly what they do. And so really what he tells us in verse 5 is we will face persecution, we'll face resistance, we'll face all that kind of stuff. Because the false teachers in the world are playing on the same team. Right? They're, rooting for the same, they're, they're rooting for the same team. They're playing for the same team. Uh, they're both anti Christ, They're both opposed to Jesus. That's why they don't listen to the truth. That's why they don't listen to us unless the Holy Spirit opens their hearts to be able to see. And that's the same for you and me. Uh, If the Holy Spirit hadn't opened our hearts to see, we we would be in that same camp. So you got these words of assurance in verses 4 and 5, and then you get test number 3. That's how I see verse 6. Look at it. Let's uh, read the verse. And so he says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So we are from God, John says. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. The key to verse 6, because verse 6 would, oh boy, could you abuse verse 6, right? (laughs) The key to verse 6 is to understand who he's talking about when he says us. When he says us. Who is John thinking about? When, more importantly, who's the Holy Spirit talking about? But John's the writer he's working through. Who does he mean when he says, whoever listens to us knows God? The key here is that he's not talking about you and me. Not in verse 6. I don't get to use this. I don't get to print it on a t-shirt and wear it when I preach, right? Whoever listens to me listens to God. Uh, He's not talking about Grace Point Church. He's not talking about EFCA pastors. He's not talking about American evangelicals with seminary degrees. Whoever you want to insert in there. He's not talking about any of those people. He's talking in verse 6 about the apostles. It's the apostles. It's the same group. This isn't the first time he's done this in the letter. It's the same group that he opened with. So if you've got a physical Bible, or I suppose you could scroll back in the app, uh, if you look at chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and 3, he starts the same way. And he goes through and he says, we saw him. We saw him with our own eyes, and we touched him with our own hands, and we heard him with our own ears. And, and on some really hot day, when it, you know, they took a long walk, they probably smelled him with their own, with their own noses. Uh, the point is, they saw Jesus personally. They heard his teaching. He taught them. He appointed them, which is why the gospel spends so... It's a surprising amount of attention on the appointing of the apostles. Uh, They were the ones that he commissioned. And that's why their witness, their eyewitness, those years they spent with Jesus, that was authoritative. That's what he's pointing to in verse 6. And so he says, you know, so how is that earliest church supposed to discern the difference, right? So here are these false teachers saying these, these things about Jesus john's saying these things about jesus which one should i listen to john says you listen to me because i'm the one jesus sent to you i'm telling you the truth why because the truth jesus i am the way the truth and the life the truth is the one who gave us this message to give to you and so the third test now again you could reject this but if if you're a christian this is actually a central thing for us the third test is does it line up with the apostolic witness that's the test John gives them in verse, in verse 6. So does it tell the truth about the nature of Jesus, the work of Jesus, and what he said, the witness that he's given you through his apostles? Now, here's the, here's the turn we have to make. Where do you and I have access to the apostolic witness? Because we can't talk to John. Right? Those folks could talk to John. He was still around. He's dead now. He's in heaven now. And so is Paul and Peter and Andrew and Matthew, all those guys. They're all in Mary Magdalene. They're all in heaven now. Mary didn't write any scripture, but they're all in heaven now. The people who saw him, saw him in person, they're all in heaven. So where do you and I get to ask the apostles what Jesus said? It's right here this it's this it's the new testament every book of which is written by by or under apostolic authority and then the old testament affirmed by the new testament writers when they quote it and cite it and and affirm its teachings and so it's the old and new testament or as we like to say the bible it's the bible and so you actually could and I, i don't recommend crossing words out in your bible but but you can read verse six and substitute in where john says we and us read it this way. The Bible is from God. This is verse 6. The Bible is from God. Whoever knows God listens to the Bible, and whoever is not from God does not listen to the Bible, right? They start listening to all kinds of other sources. Uh, Does not listen. By this, by what? By whether or not they listen to the Bible. By this, you know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error, the very thing we were told to test back in verse 1. Is it from God or is is it from the devil? So that's the Jesus-centered test. Is whatever it is we're testing, whether it's narrowly a specific doctrine or broadly something going on in the world you and I live in, is whatever we're testing, is it in agreement with what God says? Does it it tell the truth about what's taught here? If it does, it's true. If it doesn't, it's not. That's what verse 6 says. So when some famous preacher with a big church in dozens of books on Amazon, tells you God just wants you to be happy. That's all. That's all God wants. He doesn't want you to have to make any sacrifices or pay any costs. God just wants you to live your best life. That's what he's all about. That person is not telling you the truth. Because that's not what the scripture says. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches God wants us to take up our cross. What did Jesus say? Anyone who would follow after me must take up his cross or her cross and come after me. Uh, Galatians 2:20 Paul does not say Paul does not say I am self-actualized in Christ he says I am crucified in Christ or with Christ so pay attention to those people like I said us preachers are some of the most dangerous ones. Or when a Christian uh, influencer, I'm still getting used to this term, when a Christian influencer on Twitter or Instagram or one of those with, with thousands of followers, uh, when she writes a, a post or makes a video and says, you know, I've, 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 I realize now, God has told me now that, that God approves of homosexuality. He's all good with that now. He's good with same-sex relationships. God told me love is love. Uh, or or he says or she says you know the bible's teachings about sex that doesn't really apply anymore that was from a past age when god was much more uptight than he is now Uh, he's not like that anymore now it's just all about the love Uh, again it gets lots of likes but god doesn't like it it's not telling the truth because again it's not what the word says it's that chapter. it's that verse six third test does it tell the truth does it affirm the truth of what god says in his word if it does it's true If it doesn't, it does not pass the test. When I was reading that article, uh, the the one about the ham sniffers, I found myself wondering about uh, the coronavirus. I I saw this article back around Christmas time. It was in the newspaper. It was in December... And uh, you know, I just was like, wow, I wonder, I wonder if these, these guys have thought about the coronavirus. Because th- you know, the whole coronavirus thing, a lot of people that attacks their sense of smell, that would be horrible for, for one of those folks to get the coronavirus. And uh, sure enough, it came up in the article. I, you know, I was kind of wondering if they would talk about it. And they did, about halfway through. And they actually quoted Manuel Vega, the man who was their lead sniffer. Uh, he, he actually said, I'm terrified of it. You know, they must have asked him. He said, yeah, I'm terrified of getting the coronavirus. And so he said he took steps to protect himself. And I don't, he did, they didn't talk about the vaccines. It was kind of a fun article. They didn't get into that whole thing. Uh, but I love what he said. He said, I eat six oranges a day. <laughs> I eat six oranges a day, Mr. Vega said, to boost my immune system. And it seemed to be working, right? As of December, anyway, when that article was written, none of them, including him, none of their sniffers had gotten the coronavirus. Their, their vigilance was, was paying off. And you know, we need to be even more vigilant than that. I don't know what the, our version of six oranges a day is, but we need to be even more vigilant with our sense of smell. Not for ham, but for truth. And the way to do that is, is to do what John tells us to do in this passage, to apply these tests. And so whatever it is, whether it's a, a, you know, maybe it's a Christian book or a Christian person you're listening to, or maybe it's just something bigger going on in the wide, wide world, ask these three questions. And the first two, obviously, are going to be more for a Christian sort of a thing or a doctrinal sort of a thing. But it's broader, too. Does it tell the truth about Jesus? The nature of Jesus, the person of Jesus, who he is, uh, who he is to us and what he's done for us. Uh, leading over into the work then, does it tell the truth about the work of Jesus and the centrality of the gospel? That the center, uh, that it is the center of what we're about. And then that broadest test, does it line up with the scriptures? Does it line up with the truth that's taught here in the Bible? Uh, those are the tests. That's how we test for spiritual truth. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we will... Uh, Thank you for equipping us to live in this world that we live in. Uh, you do not leave us. It's exactly the kind of thing we would expect a loving father to do, uh, to protect and to defend and to equip his little children. And so we thank you for passages like this one, uh, and uh, we pray you would help us to, to live this out, to apply these tests uh, in all the different things we encounter, whether it is uh, narrowly uh, issues of doctrine and belief and faith, or broadly just all the different ideas and philosophies Uh, I can't remember which book calls it but they talk about uh, fruitless myths Uh, help us Lord to apply your word to all of that stuff so that we will not be misled we will not be led astray we thank you uh, in advance for doing that for us because you love us and we trust in you Amen